everyone and welcome back to the Indie Insider podcast. My name is Charlotte Carpenter from Baby Woman Records and today is International Women's Day which is incredible and such an important thing to celebrate and I'm doing it with this podcast this week. I've decided to not just do one episode this week, but four. So Monday to Thursday, I'm going to be talking to a different woman from inside the music industry. I'm talking to producers, artists, publishers, and also someone working in A&R. And the reason why I wanted to do this is because I wanted to celebrate female role models more than ever. We are seeing women work together more, we are seeing women share their experiences more, and to be honest, it's never felt like more of an exciting time to be a woman in music. There's never felt like there's this much support. And it's really rallying us on, and that's what I want to do this week. I want to shine a light on those who are working in predominantly male-orientated environments. And I want to talk to them about their journey and their successes and how they got there and the kind of messages that they want to send to other and younger generations to follow. So as I said, this week is all about celebrating those female role models and also all about creating more of them. Because the more of them there are, the more women that we're going to see come into this music industry. Today's episode is with a music producer called Steph Marziano. She's incredible, and I was so grateful that she gave me her time. She's doing some incredible things in the pop music industry especially. She's worked with Danae Moore, a friend of ours and podcast alumni, Sophie Jameson, and she's also co-written and worked with Hayley Williams from Paramore, which of course I wanted to hear all about. If you are somebody listening and you're a woman and you want to become a music producer but maybe you're struggling or maybe there's just something you want to hear or something you want to learn or a little bit of advice that you need to kind of set you on your way this podcast episode might be for you so here we go let's dig in to the first of four special episodes for international women's day this is with the incredible steph marziano Yeah, I saw you did a one an episode with Euler. Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, she's a good friend of mine. She's she's, she's awesome. Um, yeah, I think we we met um, when we were both quite young, so going back quite a few years. So it's really lovely to see uh, her journey. It's so inspiring. Yeah, the whole definitely. thing. I think like she really knows who she is, what she wants. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's because I've been friends with her for a few years now, and and getting to see that has been really cool. Mm-hmm like see like where she's producing her own music now and like that's fucking great yeah it's just amazing I'm really like proud of her cool uh, yeah because you awesome. did you you've done some co-writing together yeah so we've we've written a bunch together um and like but it, you know it's been the last I guess I've known her for like three or four years so I've seen mm-hmm. her sort of like go through finding out like who she wanted to work with and how she wanted to work into like now she really knows what she wants and who she is and I think that's really cool. like a lot of artists will just like not do that journey mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah to see her like go through it and now like she's fully in control of her music I think it's really great I think your um what you just said about the like artists not going through that journey mm-hmm. um I've definitely been I'm gonna call I'm gonna say victim to that mm-hmm. <laughs> um 
and it's really difficult I think it's taken a few years for me and some other friends I know Mm -hmm. to realize like what's important like when it comes to like actually making music because we get especially if you're doing everything yourself like you get so caught up in everything else and Mm -hmm. sometimes you forget about the song yeah you know and it's uh I think I feel like I've definitely gone through that like myself of just kind of like putting songs out not really thinking um a little bit deeper about what I want them to be you know or maybe letting someone else have a bit too much control over what they become because I'm too busy doing all the admin do you know what I mean exactly and then you kind of you'll find yourself disappointed but you don't know why yes um like which you know and I've seen like to be honest with you as a producer when an artist isn't as invested it's like it's so challenging because I don't I don't know how to make you invested I can try my hardest but like at the end of the day it's going to come from you yeah like yeah yeah. so when you're just telling me to like oh just do some production thing like yeah I can try and interpret what that means but like I'm never at that stage I'm not going to know what's in your head unless you're fully in Mm -hmm. um so on both sides of like the glass it it's really important it is important and I think an artist like producer relationship as well um I'm sort of sort of talking from personal experience but it's actually um quite a complex relationship at times I think yeah um definitely like how do you feel about that in general like a bit of a broad question but yeah no you know what I struggle with it all the time I was just on the phone with my friend about it because like I think a lot of the reason that people come to me to work is I'm kind of known as I've been called the fun ant. Like kind <laughs> yeah. of a lot of times I'll get an artist that's worked with some dickhead producer and then comes to me and like I get to let them do what they want. Right. So a lot of times it's great because I'm like, oh yeah, you want to add reverb? Fuck it, let's add loads of reverb. You want to you make that a double? Like let's do it. And like just letting them explore that and then we can work on it. But then and like another challenging thing is also, you know, people come to me because they want, their song to be the best version it can be whether that means they want it to go on radio or they want it just to like street like so I've got this other side of me that's like yeah cool I want them to feel completely valid and whatever they want but also they've hired me to do a specific job so like you know with an album I did recently it was like they've specifically hired me to make make the make the band more poppy mm-hmm. so there was one song that we were struggling with and it was like actually I had to like I had to tell them no we're going to do this because because you know you guys have hired me to get you on the radio and this is this is more radio as opposed to what you're doing and it's just like a really tricky thing because it's like oh I want to be that friend for them and I want to be that person that makes them feel secure but I also have to tell them I have to do the hard job which is say no this you know it's kind of like an in-between between an A and an R and Mm. like you know you're kind of working on both sides of it so like yeah it's a really really tricky balance and I think the best producers are the ones that can get that balance right but you know it always fluctuates as well how how do you kind of respond to that if it's happening like in the room at the time of recording um oh it kind of depends I guess on each person but it's I think my most important thing is even if I'm like wanting them to change a part or sound is still making the artist feel valid because it's their project at the end of the day it's not the stuff Marziano record um Mm -hmm. So I want them to have ownership and to feel it. So, you know, it might be a thing of like trying their ideas first and then saying, what if we try this? Or, you know, stuff like that. But it is, yeah. I never want to like take over too much control. 
at least with the you know the music I'm working mm. on um with maybe popular stuff it's slightly different but it's just yeah like I said it's not the Steph Marziano record mm. so I don't want them to feel like it is yeah and how did you um a very general long-winded question as well but um this podcast will be um kind of a part of an international women's week exclusive oh wicked so i'm doing this thing um from the 8th of march for a week where i speak to kind of some of like the leading women i found in music um and i've actually i've never spoken to um, a producer who's a woman before so it's it's very interesting to know your experience and your journey um and you know some people will say, you know, gender's got nothing to do with it. And other people will say, actually, that's a massive part of, of the reason why I'm here or the reason how I got here or something like that. And um, so I'd love to know your journey into into production to begin with. Yeah, I feel like it's probably, to answer that question, it's, it's a yes to all of those things, I guess. Um, but so I was a really geeky teenager um, and I wrote tunes and I played drums Um and then I just kind of wanted to learn how to record my own songs at the time. So I like, I set up a really DIY recording studio in my parents' basement that was just like filled with really cheap equipment. And I recorded all like, the pop punk bands in my neighborhood um, oh. and really bad, really badly recorded all the pop punk bands in my neighborhood. But that was like the thing at the time, like all the snare sounds sounded terrible. So it's fine. Um, but then, so I did that. And yeah, I mean, at that moment, gender never really was a thing like you know all my friends were guys I was recording all dudes I never really thought about it because I didn't have any women to necessarily look up to you know I I'd heard about Sylvia Masti at that point and that was the only woman I really knew and I remember seeing when we're going to a gig this is really long-winded and I'll get back to it but I remember going no, no, to this is great uh St. Vincent when I was like 17 mm-hmm. I remember it was like a snowstorm and I'm from Philadelphia and there's like a snowstorm in Philly and I had to like track through to get there. And, but then it was like, it was probably like one of the most like life affirming moments for me because it was like, oh, here's this really sick, like badass musician who's like shredding on guitar and happens to be a woman. And for me at that point in my life, I hadn't seen that. Um, she was one of the first like left field artists I was really getting into. So for me, it was just like really like mind melting. And I was like, oh, you know what? I can do this and it doesn't matter. Um, so after that, I started like interning in studios. I went to university in Liverpool, which is how I ended up in the UK, um, and did like a sound technology course. Is that at um, uh, the Institute by any chance? Yeah, that so one. it was at Lipper, cool. um, which was great. And the course was really good. Um, I think there was like three out of 30 girls. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, which like at that time, like the numbers like for that was actually good. <laughs> um, but like, and then after that, uh I got my first like proper studio jobs which was like interning and running and being like the effectively I did all the jobs that no one wanted to do at like a big professional studio in London which was amazing and it was like it was probably even though my job now is hard in a different way I'd say that job was still to this day the hardest job of my life um it'd be like 20 hour days seven days a week just um I like but it was great because I got to assist on like a prodigy record which was amazing and it was such an incredible learning experience and I was so like new that they were able to sort of train me Mm. so yeah all those like that was amazing and you know the gender thing at that point like I was actually finding 
there'd be a couple of comments here and there, like, you know, I was the first woman to the studio I'd ever hired in like as like a technical thing. So that, you know, there'd be a couple of things, but then like overall it was probably helping me because the artist remembered my name. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. You know, they hadn't had another woman in the studio at that point. Um, so that was kind of cool. And then continued sort of went after they trained me to assisting and engineering, worked at a bunch of studios around London. So I worked at Strongroom Studios and Rack Studios um, where I got to like progress from assisting to engineering. And it was all great. Like, yeah, like the only times I've ever had like the gender be an issue is like, to be honest with you, like with the older generation, mm-hmm. um, at that point, at least, like it was just like, they might say a comment, but other than that, like all of the younger, you know, our generation bands were excited about it. Um, so yeah, so I sort of was engineering and then I started producing after that. The first album I produced was for an artist called The Name or, which was amazing. And that sort of propelled my career. What's her um, name? Sorry, say that again. Uh, Danae Moore. Oh so yeah, I oh, yeah cool. Um, and that was sort of like a big thing that propelled my career. And I got to sort of like go from engineering and mixing to more producing and writing after that um and it was only I feel like only after I got to that point where I started noticing the gender thing more Mm. um mostly because like I found and this might be too deep of a thing to go in this early in the podcast but I'm here I like Um, it I'm in I feel like in the last like six months maybe in the last year I'd say I like I've started to see the glass ceiling um a bit more so like I guess for me, I've, I'm probably like a writer producer. So after the day record, I started getting into writing and then sort of now full time and mostly writing and producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, having meetings with A&Rs and it was all really good. And it was like, oh, well, great, my career is propelling. But then there'd still be that occasional meeting with like a major A&R or something where I'd play them like the music that I've been writing. And, you know, I'm working with all these indie folk artists and they, it's like a specific genre set of things. And then, yeah they'd play me like a grime artist and they'd be like, yeah, you should, you should do this. Cause it's actually the BBC are doing a documentary on women in music. And she's the, it's like, Oh, so the only reason you're actually showing me this music is cause there's a woman. Mm. Um, and I found actually like, that's been where I've seen the ceiling is like, I'm getting work and it's great, but like, I'm people aren't necessarily taking risks on, right. on women yet, if that makes sense. And I think yeah. in order for, and by women, I mean, also non-gender conforming as well yeah. um but I feel like you know for a major label I know it's really easy because like not really easy but they're in a weird position where say they've got this band that they want to they want to propel and it's like an indie guitar band say it's it makes more sense for them to hire someone who's produced loads of indie guitar bands in the early 2000s because it's a safe bet yeah. And for whatever reason, they don't want to lose their jobs. X amount of money in the recording industry isn't there anymore. They can't necessarily take a, you know, quote unquote risk. Right. And working with younger producers and maybe women, like that is technically a risk in that sense. But unless those A&Rs don't make that risk, we're just going to be in this perpetual loop of only women are in the DIY scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where I've noticed like gender sort of, adding or subtracting to my career is like going to the next level which is quite common even in like the industry side of things you know a lot of women start out but then when it gets to like the middle phase of their career 
end up leaving for X amount of reasons. And you can kind of see it because like going to that next stage is harder. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, in, in all respect, you know, respects, like I've, I've managed to go to those next bits and it's been great, but like, there's just those little times where like, I notice that and I'm like, oh, it just makes me question things, I guess. It's, I'm interested to know like, when you're in the room with these like A&R people mm-hmm. and they're saying, you know, um, there's this woman, you know, work with this mm-hmm. woman and et cetera. Yeah. Those people in those rooms, are they men or are women present too? Yeah. Um, I would like to say in case anyone, I do love A&Rs. Most of the A&Rs no, yeah, I work with. No, yeah, no, totally. Like, um, like I do a lot, of, you know, probably most A&Rs are men. I've only worked with a handful of A&Rs that are women um would they be more likely to like take a risk on other women or yeah um, like you know the first the first production job I got the name was you know there's a woman A&R who put me forward for it um and you know but also you know kind of makes sense the sense of well I've got this like 18 year old female artist I don't want to put her with a 40 year old dude I want to put her with a 27 year old woman you know I I totally get that um it was just the thing of I felt I was I think I've had to fight harder to work with men than I have with women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas I personally, you know, it's all personal, but like, I personally don't think men have that issue as much. Like, I don't think it comes into question as much for their careers. Um, so, yeah, I found I found that really interesting of like having to remind A&Rs that I don't just work with women. Yeah. Um. And like, yeah, that's just been fun. And like, I think it, you know, it is changing, especially in the indie label world. I feel like it's not as much of a thing at all. It's and it is starting to slowly change in the majors. Mm-hmm. When you but, talk, yeah, that all come. When you spoke about um, you kind of recognizing or maybe seeing like there's a glass ceiling, like it's horrible because I wouldn't ever want to. It wouldn't ever want to see it, you know. And even if, like, you yeah. see it for a second, it must make you feel so strange inside, you know. And you yeah, just, you're committed to do everything you can to like smash through this invisible glass ceiling. Yeah, definitely. It's you know, it's it it is challenging and it's frustrating. Um, like, you know, so for when pitching to write with other artists, I remember getting really frustrated of like, you know, you get occasional turn downs and that's absolutely fine. That's, that's the music industry. But then like looking at the credits that I've got and like looking at all the artists and genres I work with, I'd be like, well, why did they turn me down? I'm like, I'm really in line with that. But then they're working with this other male artist who's got like male producer who's got way less credits. And it's, you know, it's not a competition, but it would just be this frustrating thing mm-hmm. that like didn't necessarily make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I can't 100% say it's because of internalized misogyny. Um, mm-hmm. But you definitely, you see a little bit of it that, like, the taking you seriously things a little bit harder. But I think that, you know, on a positive note, it is massively changing. More yeah. women producers are, like, breaking that glass ceiling and it's yeah. not a thing anymore. Um, but, yeah, it is, like it can be frustrating mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's becoming really clear across like every aspect of the industry and I think it's um for me personally like I've I've noticed kind of um women just being more involved in everything really and from my perspective it's because we're beginning to talk to each other more than ever 
you yeah. know, and actually like share our experiences like with each other. And that's been a massive thing for me uh, with with the podcast as well, kind of actually sitting down and hearing another woman's experience or perspective on something. Mm-hmm. And it's making me check in with myself constantly. And the yeah, thing yeah. like um and just being in certain situations with certain team members and you think, oh, actually, maybe maybe that's not right. And maybe I've just been downplaying that all this time, you know, yeah, and and stuff like that, which has been been like a problem for me in my life, definitely, where mm-hmm. um, uh, someone in the industry who's a male has said something and I've definitely just brushed it off. And yeah. brushed it off and I kind of got myself into a bit of cycle of doing that for a long time. Yeah. And as soon as I started speaking to other women who didn't brush it off, and actually said something I thought oh oh okay like I, I you know I need to learn here I need to speak up and um so that's really really Definitely. empowering I think to see so many women just openly saying what's happening and like learning from each yeah. other Definitely and I think so like I'm I'm a millennial I guess and like you know the generation I guess above me so you know older managers and women ARs that I work with like when they were you know, just starting out in the music industry, it was awful. Like they were treated like crap. Um, so they sort of had to adopt this like tough mentality and tough mantra um, in order to just get past it. And it like, you know, they had to harden and be a bit hard, you know, be a bit tougher to other people. Whereas like our generation and specifically the Gen Z, who I think are way cooler than, than yeah. millennials, but like um, they've just got this like full empathy and you can have these conversations that like, you know, 20 years ago, these conversations weren't happening because people were scared. And it was just kind of this, well, like I've, I've gotten through it. So I'm going to bully you in order to get through it. You've just got to harden up. That's fine. You know, whereas like the younger generations aren't having that. They're like, oh, let's discuss it. Like, I feel for you. That sucks. Let's talk about it. Um, which I think is amazing. Like when I first started out, I remember having that hardened, like, sort of thing and you know and to be fair I still have a lot of it because you have to have a degree of it but it was only in the past few years that I was able to like talk about those things and be like oh cool I don't have to just like brush it under the rug and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah I can just I can like Mm -hmm. express that I'm upset and it's fine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how um, I'm wondering as I'll slightly sidestep from from the conversation we're currently having which is brilliant by the way this is I'm really enjoying this um how if there is like an artist listening that would love to kind of dabble in production or become more of a producer like what's the what is like sort of the best route for someone to take to become someone like yourself or or in your position you know what I think there's so many different routes that you can become a producer especially in the last like five years you know I was at the tail end where for me the biggest way I learned was starting from the bottom at a recording studio and working my way up and it was amazing I got to get you know got some incredible credits over the years I got you know and that was brilliant but I also got to see how bigger producers work like you know getting to watch Nigel Godrich work was like the best thing could ever happen you know I I learned so much but then that doesn't say that someone who doesn't want to do that or maybe doesn't have the access can't just learn on YouTube and and just do it by like having logic or pro tools and trying it themselves so I think you kind of have to work out maybe like what avenue you want to go in a bit more and then if if you if you could do you know if you want to be more of an artist producer then just part of it's like just crack on like just get get by doing um for me personally 
like having those few years to just learn from other producers that eventually is the career that I wanted was so handy mm-hmm. um, that like I wouldn't trade that experience for anything else. But now after that, I am, le- I'm still constantly learning as I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you never stop learning really. So totally depends Like you know, if you want to learn to produce your own music, there's so much information out there that like you can learn to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so, you know, there's those classes, there's mixed with the master's classes. There's, yeah, there's just so much that, especially during like COVID times, you don't have to leave your bedroom to learn how to do it. Um, but then, you know, there's also a side of it, like you can learn a fair amount there, but like, it's not going to necessarily you know, there's all those things of like being in a recording studio that you learn mm-hmm. that it's trickier to learn that at home. Um, and the more experience out of out of that you get is is great. But yeah, I'm rambling, but no, no, this effectively is great. it all depends on your personal journey and what you'd yeah. you'd want out of your career. Um, I know loads of producers that started off as an artist and they just did it that way and now they're mostly producing for other people and you know, it's the same technical skills that I have. Um, and I've seen some people that have gone super old school route and worked at recording studios for 10 plus years. Mm. You know, you can be an assistant at Abbey Road for 10 years and that's normal. Wow. Um, so it's this, it totally depends on what personal journey you want and where, what kind of genre you want to get into and where you want to go after that, I think. This, I feel like this is the question I should have asked at the very, very beginning. But if there is like an artist listening who is maybe thinking like, do I need a producer or not? Like at what mm. point do you feel is the right time for an artist to look for a producer or start having conversations with people like that? I think that's a tough one because like, you know, some people don't find their sound until they're working with the producer, but some people already know it and maybe just need that producer to help with the extra 20%. Mm. um so it I think it's the thing of like if you're if you've got your like your music and you're finding it's not to the level of music on on Spotify that you want to be at the level of Mm -hmm. and you can't figure out how to get it there then that's probably the point Mm -hmm. um and you know some people that that varies but a producer will help you get to the get it where it can sit next to that same genre and and Mm -hmm. sort of work it work for the listener I feel like and it's really hard when you're doing it on your own to to get out of that headspace because when you're on your own I don't know about you but I go through being like oh my god this is the best song in the world this is the best sound in the world and then two minutes later oh god this is awful and it's just (laughs) that constant go back and forth but if you if you're doing your own productions and then you're like every day or so comparing them to something on Spotify and being like, oh, you know what? Take away the mixes, but like my production's not there. And then maybe that's at the point where you start thinking, okay, maybe I need an extra set of hands. And you know what? To be honest with you, mostly a producer is an extra set of ears saying, oh, that's great. That isn't. Mute that. Don't mute that. Um, yeah. So it might even be as simple as that. So when artists come to you and they're in the room, like what kind of process do you go through from the very beginning of working with an artist to having a record? So it kind of always depends. Um, I like I like to meet and chat with the artist as much as possible because as we've touched upon, like the producer artist relationship is 
complex one, but it's also like really vulnerable. So mm-hmm. we have to be friends. We have to like each other. We have to want to chat about things that aren't just your guitar sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's like meeting them for coffee, hanging out at the studio. Like I take my time on that bit, you know, and also like I'll send me, a, like, I always have people send me a playlist of tunes and that's like, oh, it doesn't even have to just be references to what you want to do. It can be like, oh, you know what? I love this vocal sound on this Taylor Swift record. I know I make punk music, but I just think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of just lets me understand, A, understand what the music they like and what they want to do, but also like underneath that. Um, and because you never know, it could be like, oh, well, that synth sound, that Taylor Swift record is really cool. Let's put that, put something like that into your your garage punk band and yeah. like, you kind of you find really hidden gems from it but yeah for me I think it's like it's really important that the artist feels comfortable and that we know each other and then the actual recording process that'll just come naturally after that um and that'll be easy but like even like when I do songwriting sessions like the first hour at least is just hanging out yeah um and yeah that technically means we have less time to write a song but the song just flows if you're like naturally chatting yeah um, you can write a song in 15 minutes if like if you like know the person really well mm-hmm. um, so yeah for me that's the most important thing and then after that it kind of all depends on the genre and like what the person wants you know whether they want to start from their own demo or they want to start fresh and whether we're in like a band setting or a pop setting kind of thing mm-hmm. um, but yeah the first phase is always the most important and what do you do um, and this is kind of like a question like for me I guess what do you do if you're working with an artist that has um not maybe like not a clear direction of what they want something to sound like yet but they have the song but maybe they don't have the sound for the song so how how do you navigate around that i think with that it comes as we find that together Mm -hmm. so it might be them playing me the song and then us just like listening to music And like being like, oh, that's really cool. I like that or I don't like that. Um, oh, and then it's just like, it's just trying things like after that. But if you kind of, it's definitely easier when you know what you want a bit more. But like, if you don't, I think it just comes across of, well, let's listen to things and see what we like. Mm-hmm. Let's play around. Let's, um, okay, you wrote it on guitar. Let's try on piano. And try, you know, and just sort of listening and playing around. And then all of a sudden you'll have like a eureka moment and you'll get it. And then after that, you'll finish the song really quickly. I feel like that's another trap sometimes that um, more indie, or maybe any artist actually can fall into, is um, by just like not listening as much as mm. as you should. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really easy to, I think, go down this tunnel of um, completely being like focused with what you're doing. And then um, like this time last year, I was sort of like questioning, like, you know, what do I want these songs to sound like? Like I've been mu- making music now for quite a while, but um, I want to maybe think about making a record and what do I want that to sound like? You know, who who do yeah. I want to, who do I want to be? Um, and I just thought, oh, hang on, do you know what? I've, I've spent so many years listening to what other people are listening to or working with a producer that told me what he was listening to. What do I love? Like, I actually yeah. had this moment of what do I like, you know, and yeah, um, I totally get that. And so I ended up actually just going back to like my 16, 17 year old self and being like, what did she like? And she ended up loving um, like Def Cab Kitty and Radiohead. So I went back down oh that my road. God, wait, hold on. I don't know. Can you see on video, but I'm literally wearing 
Death Cab for Cutie Sweatpants. Oh my god, I didn't even know they existed. Oh, I've got the full sweatsuit, it's great. I'm actually wearing a really similar colour sweatsuit. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> like great, isn't it? <laughs> it um, is, but yeah so anyway keep going what I mean but yeah so you, I, I, I went down no that, that was a great I really enjoyed that um yeah I kind of went back down that path and and uh, I remember like uh, seeing someone when I was really young and and um he made me this mixed cd and which was great and I wish still happened in life um but yeah. He he put loads of stuff on there, and that was the first time I discovered Radiohead and Def Cab and um, Sigur Ross, uh, oh, amazing and Bright Eyes, and it, it went on and on and on, and, and I just kind of had this moment, maybe just before Christmas, and was like, why have you not listened to the music that you love? Like, mm-hmm. why why have you just not done this? And I couldn't really find an answer for myself. I maybe I just felt like I'd maybe been influenced not in the wrong way, but influenced and forgot what it was that I wanted or who I was, you know? Um, So, yeah, I've been obsessed with the Benz for quite a few months now, um, just going backwards. And then one of my favourite artists, um, her name is Madison Cunningham. Mm. Oh, she's she's incredible. Her guitar playing is unreal. And I saw that she covered um, No Surprises and then... Yeah, I've just gone back. I'm like, I think I need to go oh, back and amazing. like hang out with like my inner child a little bit. Yeah, and go to like the root of why I wanted to play the guitar. Totally get that. I think it's really hard as well. Like when I'm doing loads of writing sessions, the last thing I want to do sometimes is go home and listen to music. Mm. Like whether that's because I'm comparing it or I'm too in my head, or even if my ears are just tired. And then I had really had to like force myself to get out of that because it's like I fell in love with music for a reason. I don't want this to take that away from me, partly because music's a release for me, but also partly because that's how I lose what I like. And that's how I lose my ability to do my job if I'm not constantly listening. Mm. So like, yeah, and, you know, it was a really similar thing. I, I, I love Death Cab. I love Radiohead. I'm a proper emo head at heart. So like going back to all that music, in the last few years it was great because it's like oh man like I'm feeling that love that I felt again and now I can listen to a new artist and still feel that mm. um but yeah so I've had to go back to do it it's really tough when you're writing and you, you know you're making music to remember why you love music mm-hmm. and I think like that's always the best advice I give people when they ask me about like how to be a producer or whatever I'm just like always listening to music mm-hmm. like you're not gonna you know you can learn the, the best snare sound or learn the best microphone, however which way you want. But like, if you're not listening to new music and old music, you know, and not knowing as many genres as possible, then there's no point of like knowing what microphone works best. Mm-hmm. Um, That's totally. I did this. Sorry, other, no, I, I did this um, other thing as well where um, I was like, obviously going backwards and I was living my best self and in remembering all those good times. And then um, I've started this, this thing on Bandcamp where I just do like, it's called my strange demo and mm. I'll set up like my mic, my interface and whatever. And I'll just hit record and I'll just like a stream of consci- consciousness will happen where I'll just won't even think about what I'm doing. I'll just let it happen. Oh. Um, and I'm letting people like have them for free. And I mean, they're ridiculous. There's like seven yeah. minutes of like pure shit maybe but there's like <laughs> but there's one moment 
you know and I'm just like that's going to be something someday and um the first one I did was just before Christmas and um again I've never explored like this side of my personality but I've actually got a really deep joy for Mike Skinner from the streets nice um and one of my favorite records is a grand don't come for free and um and I was just like oh and I started like talking I thought I should start singing at some point but I never really did start singing I just kept talking and talking and talking and I was really scared about putting that demo out because I thought I've never done this before you know um and actually the response to that was massive people were just like this is a new side to you this is so exciting and oh that's really cool and I was like oh mate maybe I can have like a a speaky song you know and Mm -hmm. but I've never I kind of felt like I put myself into a bit of a box for a couple of years yeah like I imagine you've you've been there or maybe you've seen other artists do the same thing yeah definitely um I've definitely seen other artists do the same thing, you know. If you're not as based around acoustic guitar, folk music, it's hard to get out of that. Um, I was, you know, actually, speak, I remember chatting to Orla about that, where we said, you know, because her artist name is her name. She mm-hmm. kind of feels that she it can give her a bit more, like she can explore a bit more musically. Mm-hmm. And I always sort of said that, you know, me as a producer, like I'm, I'm not tied to anything necessarily. So that's what's really exciting of like, oh, I can be writing with someone who's R&B one day, but then the next day I can be working with an indie artist. And then the next day I could do, you know, and it's kind of, it's forever changing. And that keeps me excited and like not getting too stale, I think. Yeah. Um, Is there a genre that you just can't work with? Um, I'm probably not great with hip hop or grime. Probably not just because I didn't, grow up listening to it um yeah. I'd, I'd like to think I do sort of anything like left of proper pop center mm-hmm. um like I do love I love a bit of of pop but maybe not like super super pop um yeah yeah but it totally depends I think you know a song is a song and if I, mm. I love the song if I love the artist then I personally don't care about the genre Mm-hmm. which is really exciting for me at the moment because I'm finding more and more artists are sort of doing like genreless records. Mm-hmm. Um, something Danae's always done incredibly well. She just makes a record and worries about what the, what genre they're going to call it afterwards. Yeah. And it means you've got like ultimate freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did some, I did some reading up on you, obviously, before I uh, wanted to, I wanted to know that I wanted to talk to you. And um, I feel like I can't, like the Paramore girl in me, you know, wants <laughs> yeah. to ask you, you know, how that experience was, because that's, you know, it's obviously huge and, and, and very well yeah. deserved. And like when I read that you were involved with, with Hayley Williams, I was like, what? Like kind of going back to like you know, 14, 15, like, yeah, that band changed everything, you know? Yeah, it definitely. Um, that was pretty mad. Um, so um, that Danae record I produced like randomly. The story goes, um, I think I'm pretty sure it was Rami from the XX had sent Haley a playlist mm-hmm. and in it it had um it had one of the tunes. It was actually an Elliot Smith cover that we did with Danae, which is like Elliot Smith's one of my all-time favorite artists. So that was amazing. But and 
and Haley had heard that record. And then randomly, I remember Danae sending me like a bunch of tweets from Haley being like, oh my God, this Danae Moore record's incredible. And for Danae, it was nuts because like, I love Paramore, especially as a teenager, but Danae is like the biggest Paramore fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, it was like, oh my God, my hero is singing that music. And like, it got to the, they would like randomly message each other on Instagram. And then we'd occasionally get like guest list to Paramore gigs. And then I remember like about two years ago, Danae was in LA finishing her next record and I got a text from her being like, oh my God, Haley's coming to do a session with me in two days. And at the time, me and Danae wrote a couple of tunes that like, we're going to be on the record and she's like, maybe she'll work on them for this. And I was like, oh, honestly, Danae, I'll I'll come over if you want another person. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, do it. So I like cancelled everything and flew to LA in like a day. Mm-hmm. Um, just like put it on a credit card and was like, fuck it, yes. I'll just go. Um, and then did it we got on the three of us got on really well and we're just sort of we're writing for Danae's tunes and we're just like generally hanging in at that point you know it's funny because Ellie was saying she's like I thought you, I wasn't sure if you were going to be a Steven or not like I've never worked with a a woman producer so like when she saw my na- name she wasn't sure if it was going to be like Steve Marziano and just Whoa. spelled funny um so wow. yeah the three of us got on really well and um at the end of it just like got each other's contact details and um, looking back on it now, it's nuts. But like for some reason, I had the guts to just like me and Haley would just like send each other demos that we we're writing. Mm-hmm. So I just get done like a writing session, but like, oh, I wrote this today. I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, which like looking back now is absolutely nuts. Um, but for some reason, I had the confidence to do it. And then she started sending me stuff that she was doing for the solo record. And at that point, it wasn't really confirmed what she was doing. Um, and then. So she sent me like a couple of things. She's like, oh, if you ever want to send me some instrumentals, just go for it. So then I, I started sending her some instrumentals and one of the tunes creeping, I'd like kind of started um, back in London. And then eventually she was like, just come to Nashville. So I flew to Nashville and we did like five or six days of writing. It was me, her and Joey, who Joey plays in Paramore, is mm-hmm. the bassist and he's just the best person in the absolute world. Mm-hmm. Um so it was the three of us writing and then Taylor producing, which was so sick because he's incredible. Um, and it was just this mad experience where like, it was an incredible writing experience, but also I consider them my really good friends now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was really incredible. And I got to like see Nashville for the first time and like yeah. just write in a relaxing way. I think at that point, um, Haley hadn't, like, you know, the Paramore community is quite, close-knit and rightfully so so she hadn't been doing like the big pop co-writes that you know people would expect bigger artists to do so me coming in was quite a big deal like you know it's mm-hmm. someone from outside the Paramore community coming in to write with her um so I'm like incredibly grateful and lucky like she could have worked with any big name producer um mm-hmm. and chose little me from from London um so yeah it was an absolutely amazing experience and she's and they're all still good friends of mine and I'm actually after this I'm FaceTiming with Joey as we're writing another song together amazing um, so yeah it was absolutely incredible and I'm really happy the record's done well and and I can't wait to hear what else comes out of her and Paramore and everything else it's such a wonderful story oh thanks mate it is just like oh that's that's really cool really sets a precedent of where where you can start and where you can go yeah, it's not, you know, I think like every year in January, I always try to do like a thing of like where I want to be in my career and life and, you know, all those as everyone does. Um, and it is one of those things like, you know, that January to that January afterwards, it was like, wow, I never would have guessed that. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, 
it's that saying, and I'm sure you see it all the time as an artist, where like it takes 10 years to make a overnight success. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've definitely felt that recently of like, obviously post that record coming out, you know, people I knew years ago, everyone's coming up to me like, oh my God, you're all of a sudden nailing, like you're smashing it. Like, wow, it's all of a sudden you've done this. And it's like, oh no, I was working really hard. That's why I haven't <laughs> seen any any friend for the last five years. Um, yeah. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's, and, but you kind of need that one thing to latch you on to then that means people think you are an overnight success and sort of mm-hmm. however way you get there, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's been funny sort of getting all those messages from people um, being like, no, I've, I've still been here. <laughs> still working. <laughs> and how, like, if, if there is anyone listening that maybe wants to kind of look, look into you and see what you're about, um, you know, how is best for, for artists to reach out to you? Yeah, um, I guess I think on my website I've got like my manager's contact details. I think it like sends it, you can send an email to him directly. He's Sweet. Damien, he's lovely, he's a great guy. Um otherwise, I guess Instagram, I check my DMs pretty pretty regularly, I think. Not that I get cool. many. Um I'm not that cool. Um but yeah, probably just through like my website and then on there is my manager's contact details. And is there any um, oh, is there any like solid gold or well, solid gold might put a bit too much pressure on the question, actually. But um, is there anything that you would love to say to any independent artist listening to the podcast? Ooh. That is, do I have any solid gold at the moment? Okay. Um, you know what? I think it's really easy within music to get bummed out or to feel like you're not hitting the points that you wanted to, whether that's like with, you know, your streaming numbers or whether just like, you know, but as I said before, like it takes 10 years to make an overnight success. I think that's really true. You just have to keep grafting and you have to keep going and don't get discouraged. Like, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. I know that's really, really cheesy. And my mom would laugh at me for saying that. Um, but I do think it's true. Um, you find your own path in life and eventually it does. Whatever comes works out, I think. So just, yeah, keep going. That was awesome. about like eight different sayings in one. I loved it. I feel like I just put all all those like live, laugh, love kind of <laughs> things just in one. <laughs> I think, you know, like, yeah, I think when I have um, asked other guests and stuff, uh, like advice in the past, all of them, they everyone is sort of saying like the same really empowering thing. And a lot of them also say, this is really cheesy. This is really cliche, but I don't think any of it is anymore. Yeah. Like, screw it. If I want to be cheesy, I'm going to be cheesy. Yeah, um, so, I don't know about you, but I I feel like post lockdown, I've been like writing way more just like cheesy love songs, and I'm like not afraid about them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's like fuck it, I'm gonna show my emotions now. I'm not gonna hide, but try and be cool. Yeah, I think I think those days are behind us now. I think I think um, I don't know about you, but I turned thirty this year, and at this point in my life, I'm just like I don't I don't care. Like I just I don't care yeah. what anyone's saying or thinking or exactly, and it's a great place to be. Yeah, it feels great. Like I don't, you know, that nervous energy you have in your early twenties mm-hmm. goes away somehow, and you just you feel comfortable, and that's that's a really nice place to be. Do you skateboard, by the way? I've just seen a deck in the background. Uh, you know what? I don't. I just think it looks cool. <laughs> you, it does look cool. You're catching a bit of a poser. It's <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> show you the, the studio a little bit it's very yeah. messy because the dog stuff is everywhere um lovely yeah that's it i got this lovely blue piano love it i've never seen a blue piano 
neither the piano um, people I'd asked to paint it who thought I was absolutely crazy um, <laughs> but it's really nice <laughs> um, that's really cool yeah. do you like do you specialize in a certain instrument not really um in very probably t- typical producer fa- fashion like I can play a little bit of a bunch of instruments not enough to be in a band but like enough to write songs and sort of mm-hmm. try stuff out I think I'd get bored with one instrument and move on to the okay. next um so sort of play a bit of piano, play a bit of drums, can barely play a bit of guitar, you know, just kind of like, oh, cool. I've tried that. I've put that in. Yeah. 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 We'll move on to the next. I had to, um, mm-hmm. when I was, when I told you the beginning of the conversation about that song, which was just like really doing my nutting. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe it's just, maybe when it comes to the record, I'm just, it's not going to be a guitar song, even though I think it's going to be, you know? Yeah. Um, so instead I, I downloaded this lovely, um, this lovely soft piano sound from Labs from Spitfire Audio. Mm. Oh, it's um, great that one! I've just discovered it, and it's like free plugins. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Um, so I've played with that, and then I've like, don't play the piano. Like, I just don't. Yeah. And like, just spending like days and days because pl- that song was written on a baritone, and oh, no, no. I was like, oh mate, I don't know theory well enough to convert all these chords right now and it just took me days and days to like get this song into piano form anyway I I think I did it but that's amazing oh what a challenge yeah you know what sometimes those challenges are incredible though because afterwards you just come out of it feeling so proud yeah 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 it's true actually do you have any advice actually on free plugins free plugins um the thing or cheap or cheap ones to be fair you know what there's another good piano that you'd like it's this dude on twitter who made it he's like a 20 year old student it's called imagerio it's like the soft labs one but like it's a felt piano oh okay that's down through like over lockdown when i couldn't be in the studio and stuff i like use that all the time Um, imagerio did you say yeah just like search imagerio piano and it'll come up it's only like 20 20 pounds or something like that um that one's really good. Uh, what else? There's there's this um, company called Baby Audio mm-hmm. who do a magic switch chorus pedal plugin. That's really good for free. Okay. Um, I use that all over my mixes. Oh, nice. There we have it, everyone. That was day number one, celebrating female role models in the music industry let me know how you felt about it let me know if there was something that Steph may have said or a conversation topic that we spoke about let me know how you feel if you feel that someone else in the music industry or another woman in some sort of creative business or business in general needs to hear this please do share it to them it really really does mean the world and I also took Steph up on that advice and I downloaded some of those free plugins from Baby Audio and I highly recommend the delay switch. I think it's called Baby Comeback and I've been really, really enjoying putting that on all of my demos. <laughs> so there we go, everyone. That was day number one. Tune in tomorrow for another incredible female role model in music. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. And I hope you have an amazing International Women's Day wherever you are in the world. And a big shout out to Orla Garland for letting me use the instrumental to More Like You throughout season two of this podcast. Sending loads of love and I'll talk to you tomorrow.